what, what we find a lot of board members want to know about trends. And I would say that the big picture in terms of the trend of, for design of comp and benefit programs among nonprofits is it's following uh, the corporate world, the large corporate world. On this episode of I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members, we interview Chris Rich, the co-founder and managing director of Executive Benefit Solutions. Chris shares with us how nonprofit boards of directors and nonprofits in general may want to utilize deferred compensation in order to attract and retain critical employees. So please sit back and enjoy this interview with Chris Rich. Hey everybody, Reed Corley here to let you know we will be releasing a new podcast every week. If you want to be the best board member you can be, visit our website, thecorleycompany.com to sign up for our email list to be the first to know when a podcast drops. Well, thank you, Chris Rich, for joining me today. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris is the co-founder and managing director of Executive Benefits Solutions. I've had the opportunity of working with Chris on some common clients as I was working with the board and the CEOs on some things. And, and Chris is an absolute expert in executive compensation. But Chris, before we dive into the questions, share with us a little bit about yourself and how you came about to be in the world of executive compensation and benefits. Well, thanks, Michael, and uh, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate the opportunity to join you on your podcast. Well, I've um, been in this business, the executive comp and benefits business now for over 25 years. Prior to that, I was in the accounting business. I worked for one of the big national accounting firms, Ernst & Young, for for many years and was a tax partner in the Northeast Boston and Providence area and I always wanted to do something a little bit more entrepreneurial. So I joined a, a friend in starting an executive benefits consulting firm back in the 90s, focused exclusively on providing specially designed programs for highly compensated executives and other professionals. And, and we've been doing that um, since, uh, as I say, the actually early 1990s. I think the first nonprofit organization we were involved in was probably 1990, something like that, a large medical center. And the business has evolved over that time. Uh, tax law and other regulatory issues have evolved. So it's it's been an interesting business, and we particularly enjoy the fact that we get the opportunity to work with a lot of smart people, other, other outside consultants like you, as well as um, boards of directors, members of the boards of directors and uh, executives. So it's been an interesting business. And uh, Executive Benefit Solutions, the firm that we founded back in the 90s, uh, has is relatively small, you know, to use the cliche uh, boutique organization that is, again, exclusively focused on this market, and we don't do anything else. We don't do qualified plans or 403Bs, et cetera. And so, again, we, uh, we've been in a – had an interesting perspective on the business now for 25-plus years. Well, I appreciate you joining us, and you do have a level of expertise that I would say is, is, is not like none other. But let's jump right in. Let me ask you the question, what is deferred comp, and why, why do organizations offer it? Well, I guess first um, providing you, I guess the answer to that question, it starts with a little bit of history for to provide context. I mean, deferred compensation programs have been around forever, you know, for decades, uh, sponsored by employers who have a need to attract and retain talented employees. And the form of those deferred compensation arrangements certainly has changed over the years. And uh, again, the regulatory environment, the market environment has changed dramatically. But, you know, in our, again, 20, 
25 or 30 years of doing this, I don't think we've ever seen a time when the need to attract and retain key employees was greater. And that's particularly true in nonprofit organizations, which I think, as we'll discuss perhaps as we go on here, uh, nonprofit organizations are, are really at a significant competitive disadvantage to for-profit businesses in trying to attract and retain talent. And uh, uh, that that competitive disadvantage has gotten worse uh, over the years, the last several years. And we find that the Again, it's what's an interesting trend, I think, in the business is that it has followed to some extent the types of programs we've seen in the larger corporate world for many years. So we see nonprofit organizations trying to provide deferred compensation plans that have significant performance incentives like we see in the corporate world, as well as retention incentives. So again, the business has been around forever, but the need to attract and retain talent is uh, is greater than we've ever seen. And so to to close that gap between a for-profit and a non-profit using a deferred compensation plan, how might a board of director even begin the processes of evaluating, determining to understand what the opportunities are for deferred compensation? Well, uh, the, the starting point usually is to do a competitive assessment. You know, again, uh, what what is the nature of the organization? What are the key performance features and indicators that you know that really drive um, the strategic goals? And uh, so, we like to do a lot of detailed fact finding to really try to understand the business, what what makes it successful, and uh, what do they expect will be required in the future, and. Um, the um, I think what again I think most boards are fo- faced with this issue of trying to retain and attract key talent, and again what we have seen in the nonprofit world is that deferred compensation has been a standard feature of the executive compensation and let's say physician compensation packages in the medical. Um, healthcare community for forever, for many years. But the nature is, is changing significantly. The performance incentives are much greater than they were previously. Again, in the medical community, we see you know the alignment of physician compensation with the third-party reimbursement, uh, CMS and other Medicare reimbursements. And so there's a general need to inject performance characteristics into the executive comp and benefit packages for key employees of nonprofits that may not have been there in the past, as well as supplemental savings and, um, you know, and uh, retirement opportunities. You know, a lot of these key employees are highly compensated and they may participate in the 401k or 403b, which provide only very limited savings. So again, there's uh, there's an emphasis on the design of supplemental programs that are custom designed to meet the needs of the organization and the needs of the executives, uh, and ideally on a cost-effective basis. So again, there's a, there's a lot going on in this business among nonprofits. The problem is that nonprofit organizations are subject to an additional layer of tax restrictions that goes way back in history. I won't bore you. It goes all the way back to 1978 tax law. But the additional tax restrictions on profit on deferred compensation programs 
offered by nonprofits has really put a damper on creativity in terms of the types of programs that you can provide. And we often find, again, when we come into a new client situation, we often find that the programs, we find that first they probably do sponsor some sort of supplemental non-qualified plan. Um, However, those plans generally are unsatisfactory both to the employer sponsor, perhaps because they don't have true performance incentives or they really don't act as a retention vehicle, and they're unsatisfactory to the participants because often they have a true risk of forfeiture, which means that the participant might lose everything if they didn't hang around for 10 or 15 years. So again, we find that uh, in the nonprofit environment, most sponsors do have some sort of programs that they already sponsor, but it is not uncommon for us to find that those programs are largely unsatisfactory and they want to know what their competitors are doing and they want to know what their options are. And that's our job, in essence, to try to understand, uh, to present and work with them collaboratively to go through the various planning options that might be practical uh, or practical solution or meet their strategic goals, you know, goals, et cetera, and objectives. And I think that's a key and point you talk about, and it's on your website as well. The boutique nature of your firm is you don't come in with a quote unquote standardized plan. You really try to understand your client's needs and what are those goals? What are the purposes and objectives for even exploring and implementing a deferred comp plan? And that's really important. And so can you talk a little bit about and this, I'm sure this one can go on for hours, but just high level, what different approaches to deferred compensation? What are different opportunities that boards might consider? You know, whether from a life insurance perspective, cash, I, you know, I, I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone now, but how do you determine which, what type of package to offer? What, 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 how do you go through your head and what may make sense for a specific organization? Well, um, first of all, you know, with nonprofit organizations, we are dealing with a limited number of options in comparison to the corporate world. But as, as you suggest, the, the first step is really trying to understand the need. And then how can we match the plan design to the need you know, to meet the objectives, specific objectives, both short term and longer term? And what we found in the past is, you know, that those needs and objectives have changed, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, perhaps when a, a plan was previously implemented, you know, the focus or the standard conventional thinking was, you know, you just offered some sort of uh, benefit, often a defined benefit that uh, would pay a participant after he or she stayed um, for 10 or 15 years, you know, so, uh, so for paying for time or staying in your seat, and they, they seldom have any performance characteristics. But what we found, again, the uh, significant need among nonprofits these days is to inject performance uh, characteristics into a plan. So a, a common type of plan that we might see, you know, years ago, 10, 20 years ago, most of these plans were structured as defined benefit plans. You know, that is, if the key employee stayed around until 62 or 65, he or she might get a, a benefit of X dollars per year for 15 years or whatever. That those that plan design um, was modified or really evolved into a defined contribution type of program, you know, as we've seen across corporate America and healthcare organizations, for example, there are many organizations have gone from defined benefit pension plans to defined contribution, 401k, 403b. So 
Um, secondly, the you know the plan design has typically evolved to a defined contribution plan, and so what many nonprofit organizations do is they make a notional credit to a deferred compensation account um, maintained in the name of each key employee. They might credit interest to it or allow the employee to allocate his or her account balance to various notional fund options, <clears throat> and the plan balance grows over time, and then it gets paid out. Well, again, if the employee leaves, whether it's good reasons or bad reasons, any time before the pre-established vesting period, they lose it all. So, you know, if you're a if you're a 45-year-old physician or key employee that, uh, you know, thinks you may be enjoying your current job and think you might stay there for 10 or 15 years, but you also, of course, have an eye on the market to other opportunities, uh, you know, the value of that kind of plan is really minimal to, to the key employee. And the second thing is that oftentimes, if you, you know, the people that you really want to retain, you know, the superstar surgeons, the physicians, the superstar CEOs, whether it's of a, whether it's of a private foundation or an art gallery or a community foundation um, or a hospital, those people, if they move on to another job, the new hire, the new employer is likely to reimburse them for whatever they might have lost under the plan for the old employer. So again, you, you go in and you try to point this out and say, well, does this have any does this have any true retention characteristics at all from the employer standpoint? Oftentimes the answer is no. The second question is, does this have any real value to an employee who has to hang around for 15 years to ever see the benefit? The answer generally is no. So long-winded uh, introduction to the to hopefully an answer to your question, Michael, is, well, what do you do? And so what we've done is um, we often find that, you know, again, I guess I should preface my comments by saying there is rarely a perfect solution to any situation. And so we have a variety. We have three or four typically uh, imperfect planning options, but we try to oftentimes combine those various types of programs to use the best characteristics of each to meet the needs. So, for example, what we've often done with some of the existing deferred compensation programs in the nonprofit world, generally referred to as Section 457F plans after the um, relevant code section, what we often do is try to convert those 457F plans into you know a midterm true incentive plan, maybe a rolling three-year, rolling five-year incentive plan, and then we'll supplement that with a plan that's designed for long-term savings. And uh, you know, virtually every highly compensated physician or executive or key employee or research scientist needs savings opportunities above and beyond the 401k or 403b. So what, another interesting wrinkle of the nonprofit marketplace is life insurance-based programs can offer significant incentive or can, can offer a significant advantage to these non-qualified deferred comp or 457 plans because they aren't subject to the same regulation. Most importantly, um, if life insurance plans are properly structured, they're not subject to the new excise tax, the 21% excise tax on executive compensation for um, nonprofit organizations imposed in the 20, 
17 tax act you know the it's it's interesting to us and uh, we always we always uh, get smiles or chuckles when we say uh, that uh, the 2017 uh, tax cuts and jobs act was a windfall for corporate america you know dramatically reduced corporate tax rates and uh, you know had benefits for privately held businesses as well in flow through entities but it it was had you know onerous you know it dramatically increased the complexity and cost of programs offered by nonprofit organizations because of the new excise tax. And so, again, if we're going into, a, again, a new situation, one of the first things, as I said, the first thing, as you said, we want to do is establish goals, objectives, et cetera, find out what's wrong with the current programs. But then the second thing we want to do is to analyze the entire comp and benefit program that they have to see if it's exposed to the 21% excise tax, because it's surprising how many, it's surprising how nuanced that tax law is, and some programs that you might not think should be exposed to the excise tax are, and some that you perhaps think should be are not. So again, that's another another step. So again, what we like to do is to try to combine the best of two or three planning alternatives that may be imperfect on a standalone basis, but we like to combine them and focus, you know, and look at it from a total rewards perspective. And so again, sorry, long-winded answer to your question is we, uh, we will explore any alternative and we will work through an analysis, detailed financial analysis with the client of the pros and cons of each of those analyses. You know, that is what's the potential benefit to participants, what's the cost, to the nonprofit organization, and often, very importantly, what's what's the, what are the optics? What's what's the, what does the disclosure look like in the 990? Okay, and uh, in that regard, there are some benefits to uh, life insurance-based programs as well. Great, Chris, that was a wonderful explanation. I appreciate that. And after having spoken to you so many times, I even understood what you said. And so, it's a highly, highly complex issue for the audience, Chris. Are when you when you're looking at a nonprofit organization and somebody comes to you and says that hey, we want to Im- implement a, some type of deferred compensation and benefits, typically w- how far down in an organization do they go? Is, is there a, a rule of thumb? Is it only at the CEO executive director level? Is it you know how do they determine you know key employees that should participate in a plan? I, I would say there's two parts to that answer, Michael. Um, one, of course, is, you know, who are they desperately trying to keep or desperately trying to attract or, you know, um, and uh, so, you know, the, the classic, you know, retain and reward and, uh, uh, you know, is, is a key part of that answer. And, you know, so you think about, well, who are those people? Those are people who have a real impact on the operations of the, of the nonprofit organization, on the strategic goals. It doesn't have to be a C-suite person. It doesn't have to be the CEO or CFO. It could be a key, uh, some other key person. So, for example, we uh, did a program for a research scientist, you know, a key superstar research scientist for a nonprofit research organization that uh, this scientist was was uh, able to attract millions and millions of dollars of grant money, for example. Okay, so he's not the CEO, he's not the CFO, not the you know not the chief marketing, not not a, not a C-suite executive, but absolutely positively a key 
player? So the, the part one of the answer is, you know, what employees um, really make an impact on the operation of the organization or the ability of the organization to meet its goals, you know, part number one. And again, we always want to start with a smaller group rather than a larger group. You know, it's always a lot easier to expand these programs uh, to a wider number of people. But we like to start conservatively, start with perhaps, you know, the, the CEO, direct reports, other easily identified key employees, and then see how the program operates. Oftentimes, it needs to be tweaked to plan design after a year or two, and then we think about bringing in additional people. The second part of that answer is compensation-driven, okay? Um, as you, you may recall, the maximum compensation that can be taken into consideration for a qualified plan, you know, 401k or 403b or a pension plan today, it was $305,000 in 22. Next year, it's going to be $330,000. Well, you know, a lot of executives these days of nonprofit organizations have compensation above that limit. So if you're, a, you know, if you're a CEO of a hospital or on the board of a hospital, and your average physician is making four, five, six hundred thousand dollars, you know, what are you doing to, in essence, restore the benefits they lost under the 401k or 403b? So that perhaps they got a contribution. For ease of math, let's say they get a contribution. The bottom line is a 10% contribution to pension and savings on 330,000. Well, if they're making 500,000, what you know, are they losing a contribution on another 170? And you know for sure that the competitors out there are doing something to provide that benefit. Exactly what they're doing is all over the lot in terms of some some you know hospitals and medical centers just pay it in cash, but that's never satisfactory because the the docs don't spend it, they don't put it towards retirement. So uh, you know, so the again, answer to your question is number one, you know, who's who has a real impact on the operations, achieving strategic goals. Number two who is being disadvantaged, you know, it's a sort of a sad story because your compensation is so high, you're in essence being disadvantaged by the limits on the qualified plans. But, you know, those are two issues. And then the third issue is what, what key employees have some sort of special needs? You know, are there special needs to, for, to help pay off, you know, college loans for younger people? Are there, you know, so again, we want to take all those things into consideration. That very interesting when you when you look at it and you take it from that approach. So you gave your three reasons. Are there any organizations? Are there is there a size limit? Is any organization too small? Any organization too big to explore deferred compensation? Um, the answer is is no. You know we have done programs for you know one person programs for the CEO of a. Uh, again, of an art museum or private foundation. I think we had one client that was actually a city zoo um, and just did something for the CEO. And then we have, uh, you know, we got the other end of the spectrum is a large medical center where you might have a C-suite or you might have senior executives of, you know, 20, 25, 30 executives, but you might have a thousand physicians, you know, that again, that are above the complement, right? So the answer is, um, um, it, it 
size. It, it could have, again, virtually organizations virtually of any size have these needs, you know, and it's a question of trying to tailor a plan that's cost effective. You know, so, so, so one type of program might be more cost effective if there's more scale, you know, with, uh, again, a thousand positions, a different type of program might be more appropriate for, you know, a, uh, you know, a single CEO. Um, and uh, I think I, I alluded to, or I mentioned a couple of times, you know, that there are regulatory issues associated with all designing these programs. You know, there's, there's, there is ERISA. Generally, these programs are exempt from ERISA, but there are still ERISA considerations. Of course, there are tax law considerations. That tax law has evolved and changed significantly over the years. But there's also state law issues. You know, there are issues in some states in, that limit the type of plans that you need to design. So again, in terms of doing the fact-finding, you need to understand the regulatory environment for the organization as well. Yeah, and then that's why people hire you to understand that regulatory environment or at least have an appreciation for it. Chris, is there any specific time in a organization's trajectory that deferred comp, what, is there a best time to say, we're going to implement a deferred compensation plan? Well, the, uh, I guess the, the uh, answer is before somebody steals your key people, you know, so, and, uh, and again, that, you know, that's only somewhat facetious today. You know, we see, uh, you know, it, um, I think, you know, in the corporate world, you see, that C-suite executives, the, their compensation and benefits package are reviewed almost on an annual basis, you know, to make sure they're competitive and the, the outside compensation consultants will be engaged, you know, annually or every two years, maybe to do a peer group compensation study. Okay. And so the, the answer to that is sooner rather than later, you know, and uh, we, you know, many times people have come to us and say, so-and-so key employee has been offered a, uh, you know, and uh, a great package from some other organization. And, uh, you know, we, we, we really want to retain this person. You know, he or she is key to the future strategic, meeting our strategic goals, blah, blah, blah. You know, what can we do? And oftentimes it's it's too late to do anything significant. So the answer is to, to think about it prospectively, you know, so to sit down and think, you know, who, who are the key players what are their compensation packages? How are they viewed by the existing employee? Do they do they really think it's of value, or do they discount it and think it's not? What is the employer? If you're on the board, you know what is the employer? Has this bonus, quote unquote, bonus become an entitlement, or is it truly performance based? So the answer to your question is sooner rather than later. You know, assess the situation, monitor it, review it periodically. To make sure that you're, you know, offering a competitive package, and you know, you can't, you can't stop all turnover. But at least, um, you know, it, it's like planning for any other, other major event. You know, you think of what boards of directors do, is they plan for all contingencies, um, even hurricanes, right out here in Florida, right? And so, uh, so again, yeah, you know, that's part of the job of being on the board is to think about, you know, what, uh, what are our strategic goals. You know, in the, in the in the corporate world, I'm sure you're all familiar with the old SWOT analysis, right? The matrix, uh, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You know, well, well, how do they apply to our key employee group, and uh, and what can we do about it if we're not providing competitive comp and benefits? 
Chris, you've articulated this so well. I, I don't have a follow-up question. You really hit all the key points I wanted to make sure that our audience was aware of. And, the, and you board members that are listening to this attract and retain key executives and usually starts at the executive director, CEO level. This is an opportunity to explore. Chris, is there anything we have not covered today you think that would be helpful to a nonprofit board member, even an executive who's, who's trying to understand the opportunities with deferred compensation? Um, no, again, the, I, I made the, the comment about trends. Again, what, what we find a lot of board members want to know about trends. And I would say that the big picture in terms of the trend of, for design of comp and benefit programs among nonprofits is it's following uh, the corporate world, the large corporate world. You know, And so what we often do is think about what kind of sophisticated comp and benefit programs you know a large publicly traded company might have, and um, how can we use those same techniques in the nonprofit environment to, to the extent that they've been successful in the corporate world? How can we use them in the nonprofit environment? You know, with it with the restrictions and and, uh, you know, based on tax law regulation and, and uh, you know, optics, et cetera, et cetera. So, so again, I think that's the trend is, um, you know, is looking to the corporate world and others who have done more, perhaps more sophisticated planning historically. And the other thing that we find, we, we are working with one private foundation um, on the West Coast that's, you know, uh, dealing with a a very large philanthropic, um, you know, organization they created and they hired a CEO, but they specifically tired, they specifically targeted a, you know, fortune 500 fortune 1000 type of executive to come in and run this, you know, nonprofit philanthropic organization, because that's what they wanted. And so the comp and benefit package had to provide, you know, uh, benefits, that were comparable to what that individual might have seen in the corporate world. And that's not easy to do because of course you can't offer any equity compensation, right? So there, you know, that's one thing that's off the table immediately. There's no equity. Um, and you know, any, any top performer is going to want to have comp that's linked to performance. You know, so the next question is, well, we can't offer performance. We can't offer equity. We can't even do what the, what large privately held businesses are doing, which is offer phantom equity plans. So, you know, all that's off the table. So what can we do? And, uh, and I think the trend is to, to do the best you can to bring the kind of sophisticated planning we see in the large corporate world down to nonprofit organizations. Well, Chris, y'all are really doing important work, and I think it's so critical, and, and it's very, very timely. If somebody who's been listening to this is interested in learning more or reaching out to you, how can they get in touch with you? Well, first of all, there's um, a lot of good information on our website, I think, as you alluded to before. So our website is executivebenefitsolutions.com, and there's a good deal of content and, and uh, white papers and Blogs, et cetera, that, that deal with you know nonprofit or programs for nonprofit organizations. But personally, uh, you can reach me by phone at three three nine two two one zero five five five, or at my work email address, which is c rich c r i c h 
at ebs-boston.com. EBS is an executive benefit solution. So again, uh, all that contact information is on the website as well. So probably the starting point is to go to the website, again, executivebenefitsolutions.com. Well, Chris, I appreciate this. You have shared with us your gift and your knowledge on executive benefits and compensation. And to everybody listening, I've had an opportunity to work with Chris, again, with a couple clients that I have served, and he has just been an absolute wealth of information. His firm has been wonderful. And and he's exactly right. And his first questions are, what are your goals? What are your strategies? Why do you even want to do this? And I tell you, it's, it's a highly complex subject, but he does dummy it down for those of us who need to dummy down and you were able to implement um, solutions that far exceed expectations. So Chris, I thank you. And I thank you for being on today's podcast. Michael, uh, Reed, thanks very much for the invitation. Look forward to working with you in the future. All right, so we just had a wonderful conversation with Chris Rich and Reed, we always come to you for recapping with Reed and ask you your observations, your three points, what stuck out to you that you'd like to share with the audience? All righty. The first point for me is that a common practice among nonprofit organizations currently is to inject performance metrics into compensation plans. Yeah, very good. So that is a trend that he did talk about. What about number two? The time in an organization's trajectory that they should implement a deferred compensation plan is sooner rather than later. Boy, that's the best piece of advice he may have given throughout the entire podcast. Do it now because it just becomes more expensive later. And number three, Chris finds that a lot of board members are curious about the trends in the for-profit world and how they can bring those benefits that a for-profit company might be able to have and use that in a nonprofit environment. Yeah, absolutely. Because you think about it, so many nonprofit board members are from the for-profit sector. And so they're familiar with deferred comp, perhaps on that side. And so they want, they're familiar with those trends and they want to know, can we replicate those and to what extent can we in the nonprofit world? You're absolutely right. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, recapping with Reed, three critical points, uh, critical observations. And from our conversation with Chris Rich, the managing director of executive benefits solutions. 